Oh, yes, I'm sure Isaac remembered it. I think he was supposed to remember it. I think Abraham was supposed to remember it. This was not normal, (laughs) right? This was not regular kind of stuff. God didn't just do this randomly. This is here as a um, exceptional instance, an outstanding instance of how the Lord provides a substitute, right? That the son of promise, remember the importance of Isaac in the whole story is not just that he's cute. Isaac is not just the son of old age, like, oh, finally, I got a son. Isaac is all important because the promises of God are sort of, are somehow riding on Isaac's back, okay? If that wasn't the case, this would, this would never have happened, okay? Well, never would have happened. Yes, and this is, I tried to um, point this out last week. Isaac could have remembered this and said, Dad, I can't believe you did that to me. I hate you forever. You're so cruel. You're so mean. How dare you do this to me? That, it's very reasonable. If my dad tried to kill me, um, I would probably say, Dad, I don't want to come home for Thanksgiving or Christmas, and you can keep the birthday presents, right? Um, but... There's something different about Isaac and Abraham here. This isn't just a random act of violence that the you know that Abraham woke up one day on the wrong side of bed and said, I want to I want to take you out, Isaac. It was a test of faith and it was a display of God's faithfulness. He provides the sacrifice. So I see your hands, don't worry, we'll get we'll get to all of you. Um, So I know, I'm certain of it. There's no doubt in my mind that they talked about this. I wonder if they talked about anything else. What else is there to talk about? But when they talked about it, what was that conversation like? Was it Isaac accusing Abraham of some awful, oh, you're such a bad father, you were, you know, you're a real deadbeat dad, you never did anything good for me? Or was it, dad, remember Remember how the Lord provided that ram on top of the mountain. Remember how God is faithful. And Abraham, same thing with Isaac. Hey, Isaac, do you remember? And Isaac said, how can I forget? (laughs) You know, it's not the kind of thing we forget. Yes, Jason, and then uh, I think Roxy, and then Mike. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. And the passing of the test, why does God put us through these things? Now we can we can apply this to ourselves, right? Why do we have to go through tests? Why isn't why doesn't God just say, "Okay, you went to confirmation class, you believed all the right things, you say it every week. Why does he give us challenges? Why doesn't he make our road easy?" It's an object lesson formation teaches you in a different way than a book. Yeah. yeah. So it's strength. So to Abraham and your point, Jason, this isn't just for Abraham's good, but also for Isaac. There's a um, a forging here, a galvanization of Isaac as well as for Abraham. That's a good point, Roxy. During this time, 
Uh, still to this day, that is, that is what happens. If you don't have the... Oh, well, if, if, you, if you have a... Um, I mean, it's, it's all kind of hidden away, right? But um, when, the, when the conquistadors came to Mexico, they did not find a bunch of tribal people peacefully and lovingly caring for one another. You know what they found, right? Mountains of skulls. Human sacri- I mean, human sacrifices as old as the hills. Um, and without the gospel coming in, it's only a question of how long until it happens. It's not a question of if people will start sacrificing people to the gods. It's only a question of how long until it starts happening. Which is why um, the whole... You've heard the term secularization, right? What do we mean when we say that our world is secularizing, that America is going through a process of, it's a big fancy word, secularization? What does that mean? Yeah, the Bible's word for it is apostasy, falling away. And what happens when the gospel is rejected, um, nature abhors a vacuum, right? You've, you've heard that said before. So in the vacuum of the true God, what's going to take the place of the true God? Idols. And it's only a question of time before you have outright human sacrifice. Now, we could point to things like abortion. We could point to um, euthanasia. You could, you could see, like, there is something. It's not like the women who do that are saying, I offer my child to Molech. That's what they used to say. That, and I think that's your question. Outright human sacrifice is not what's going on. But if you listen to, um, if you listen to people and you just kind of keep your ears open, things are couched in religious language. They're, they talk about a sacrifice. And they don't mean a bloody ritual sacrifice. But people do talk about, I had to do this. I had to sacrifice this for some benefit. Um, and so it's, yeah. It happened then, and my point is, it happens still today. But what I was doing, where, what I, why I wanted to know that is, don't you suppose that Isaac's like other gods? They, sure. They do this to other gods, not our gods. What are we doing? Yeah. Yeah, and, that, and that's part of what the Lord is showing to Abraham and Isaac is that um, you're, I'm going to provide the son. My, it's going to be that I provide the son who's going to be sacrificed. Yes, Mike. I think also in this scenario is a, uh, a lesson in obedience, not only to Abraham and God, but to Isaac. You know, um, yes. He knew his, he knew his, his dad uh, believed in God yeah. and worshiped God. Yep. Yeah, there's, there's definitely, um, that's true of every, that's, that's true everywhere in the Bible. When people do, when the saints do what God tells them to do, that's an example of obedience. Um, what it's not is uh, an example of perfect imitation. <laughs> so you imitate the obedience of Abraham without imitating the act of Abraham, right? Thank God. God does not say, now every one of you fathers, and this was the whole song and dance I gave at the beginning, our, our children are not to be sacrificed the way that Isaac was. But our children are to be given to the Lord, dedicated to the Lord completely. 
entirely. That's the whole burnt offering side here. It's not just, okay, we worship God, we worship the Lord on Sunday, and on Monday we worship the schedule. That's, that's our God, is the, the schedule, the God of the schedule. <laughs> he sets the agenda, and we must obey. And the more that we do on the schedule, I think that's how the Brits say it, so it sounds important. The more we put on the schedule, the more faithful we are in our obedience to the, the gods. Um, so we want to break the schedule and serve the Lord. Okay, yes, Kim. Yeah, it says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, and there's a conversation. So whether this was, we've seen Abraham, the Lord appeared to him in visions at times. We've seen him come to Abraham in a dream. Abraham goes into this deep sleep. We've also seen the Lord come to him in the appearance of those three men. Remember the three visitors? And Abraham quickly puts together a meal. So we don't have the details here. What did he look like? Did he have a low voice like Jason, or did he sound like pastor through the nose from Michigan? We don't know that, but we know there's some kind of conversation back and forth. Oh, yeah, right. Is this, uh, yeah. Yeah, this, this really comes from the Lord. It's not just Abraham, he ate a mushroom he shouldn't have eaten. Yeah, this is, this is the real thing. Okay, uh, look at chapter 22. We'll pick it up at verse 15, okay? Chapter 22, verse 15. Uh, Here's what we got. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. So he's already said, stop, sacrifice the ram. Now here's the second time. So here's the, the resurrection of Isaac. He called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed." because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. What's at Beersheba? There's a well there. There's that great well. The well of seven, or um, what was the other? The other, the well of the oath. Okay, and that's where he's taking up residence here. But what does he gain back when he gets his son back What is the gain that Abraham gets out of all of this? We've kind of hinted at it a little bit here this morning, but what does he, what's the profit of all of this? Well, he gets, you know, God promised that he was going to be the father of all nations. Well, Isaac's the first one. Okay, he had that before, didn't he? He had that before this death, what we're calling the death and resurrection of Isaac. So you're right, but he had that before, didn't he? What does he gain? Okay, confidence in God, I think that's right on. Did he have that before? Yes. Yeah, he had it before. But, but God's not asking him to kill his son. Okay, that's a, big that's a big deal, yes. What else? The blessing of all the nations will come through his heritage. Okay, 
the blessing in you and in your seed will all nations be blessed. Did he have that before? Did he have it before? Yeah. I've tried to put together some of these. That was, that was all the way back in the beginning, back in chapter 12, seven years ago when we started this study. You remember, don't you? Um, here's what it said. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So it's true. He gets that again. But in another sense, it's nothing new. Are you starting to see, to sense something here? Does he get a new word out of all of this? Does he get a new promise out of all of this? Does he get anything in addition to what he had before? I just can't get away from the, the concern about having to kill your son. I think when, when he sees that's not really what God wants him to do, but it's a test, that's got to be Yeah, um, I don't worry about killing my son, though. <laughs> Maybe when I'm yelling at them, they worry about it. But my, my point is, um, I'm, I'm deliberately being opaque, okay? I'm trying to be dense with you. The point is, there's, there's not anything new. There's not, a, there's not new information given that Abraham didn't have before. It's not like all of a sudden, okay, now, Abraham, let me give you the real promises. It's everything he already had, but... You're right. I just didn't want to say you were right right away. Um, I want you to, to think this through. He gains, I think your word was confidence, conviction. Um, we, I, I used the word galvanization before. Um, and a confidence that even through death, even through death, God is going to keep his promise. This is like, oh, and that is, that's not insignificant, right? When you make your promises, there's always a condition on them, right? I'll pay you back when I can. I'll pay you back if I can. I'll be faithful to you for three years, and then I'll finish my contract, and I'll be all done, and I don't owe you it. That's what you say to your boss, right? I'll work for you for 20 years. I'll be a good worker, and then I'm going to retire, and if you call me, I'm going to tell you, sorry, I'm retired, right? And when you get married, you say, until death, right? So there's always a condition. There's always some limit. I can be faithful up to this point and no further because I'm limited. So God is telling is what does Abraham gain here? He gains the knowledge, the conviction, the certainty of faith that the Lord is faithful even through death. He's faithful beyond death, um, which is even better than we can make our promises. Okay. Um, the other thing he gains here is it's just really nice to hear it all again, isn't it? And to hear it all in one place. And uh, it's a little bit concealed from you in English, but you notice this. Look at verse 17. He doesn't just say, back in chapter 12, he said, I will bless you. In chapter 15, he said, um, your offspring will be as numerous as the stars or they will be like the stars. In chapter 17, he said, I'll make you exceedingly fruitful, okay? Now, when God makes a promise, there's, there's no doubt about it. But here, it gets repeated, and listen again for what gets added. Look at verse 17. I will 
surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. Was there ever a doubt in anybody's mind? Well, maybe, right? I mean, it's kind of an, an impossible promise. Yeah, but this is kind of like an exclamation. That's right. This is an, God, God puts an exclamation point on it. And in Hebrew, uh, the, the way that this goes is you, don't, you can't use the word surely. You just double the verb. I, blessing you, I will bless you. Multiplying you, I will multiply you. So God repeats it and he doubles up the language. When God really wants to make a point, he doesn't just say something once, he says it twice. Um, there's a very famous example of this. When he told Adam not to eat of the tree of knowledge, what did he tell him? In the day that you eat of it? Yeah, if you remember the, the authorized version, dying you will surely die. Isn't that how the King James goes? That's just God's way of saying, don't misunderstand me. Let me say it twice so that you get it. Let me say it twice so that you get it. If you eat from this tree, you're going to die for sure. Now God says to Abraham, I'm definitely going to bless you. No doubt about it. Maybe you had some question marks in your head, Abraham. Maybe you weren't sure if I could really do this with your son. Now there can be no doubt. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. All right, yes? I'm actually getting some relief from this father-son relationship because I think that I can see them. It's not all listed in here, yep. but I can see their conversation. Being, I really didn't want to kill you. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they loved each other. I, I mean, the Bible I'm isn't. I'm not yeah. smart enough. Seriously, this right. is a weird deal. It is, and the the things that we get um, very interested in, the Bible doesn't seem to be all that interested in. Right? There's n- there is no discussion between Abraham and Isaac after this event. There's no there's no record of what was it like the next week when Abraham told Isaac to wake up and do his chores. What, there's no mention of it, right? Um, now, there are lots of these stories. The Jews, um, you guys all know what fan fiction is. What's fan fiction for those of you who don't know that term? Craig, what's fan fiction? I'm take a guess. Yeah. It's based on a historical event, but kind of... Yeah. The author of your favorite stories... The Harry Potter stories, right? The author, <laughs> the author, what's her name? J.K. Rowling. She wrote these great stories. Everybody read them. Um, and then after she finished the seventh book, um, she had to say, I'm not going to write anymore. I have all the money I need. Okay. Well, the fans of those books said, but we want to know what happened when Harry grew up. What did Harry and Hermione do? Or who did he marry? Harry married haven't you all read your Harry Potter? That's right. Harry married Ginny, right? The Star Wars stuff. The Star Wars, you all know Star Wars better than you know Harry Potter, right? All of that stuff now that they produce is just to make money, right? But people are still interested in it. Why? Because you want to know what happened next. What's the next part of the story? So um, now I don't want to get carried away into that, but the same thing happens with the Bible. People are very interested in questions like Paul, and and we're all thinking, what was it like? So the Jews have these stories called like the life of Abraham, the life of Joseph, 
Uh, and you can find them in, you know, like the, they're these secret works or the apocryphal works. You've all heard of those things. They're the fan fiction works. They're not the Bible, but they're like people saying, what would, it, what would have happened when Isaac came home and talked to Abraham later in life? Um, so, so it's just worth pointing out, the Bible doesn't record those things, but there's been lots of other, and they're fun to read. Um, there's some great ones with Daniel. If you ever want to know what happened to Daniel during the, the Babel, days of Babylon, he apparently killed a dragon. It's called Bell and the Dragon. Great stories. The, these are all what's in the Apocrypha. They're a lot of fun to read. Just take them about as seriously as you take the Star Wars uh, movies now, which is to say, take it or leave it, okay? Um, it's not that important. Yes? Why would a real mother give you away when you were two and a half months old? Maybe she couldn't take care of you. She took care of my three brothers. That sounds like a, um, we'll have to talk about that afterwards. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, that's okay. Um, so Abraham and Isaac, what he gains here is a more certain kind of faith, all right? Now, let's, let's put this to the question of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, all right? What is gained by the disciples? When Jesus comes back from the dead and he shows up in that upper room and he says, it's really me, boys. Look at my hands. Look at my side. He does it again the next week. Look, Thomas, touch my hands, touch my side. What did they gain from all of that? They're empowered now, okay? Confidence. Assurance. Confidence. Did he tell them anything that he hadn't told them before? Nothing new, right? He told them all the same stuff. He, but now he said, and it's really all true, right? So it's the same kind of a thing. When Jesus goes through his death and resurrection, it does, it's not unlocking some extra secret knowledge, there's nothing extra gained except for the certainty of, and it's all really true. It's all real. So there's that. Sometimes we talk about um, validation. When Jesus is risen, he's vindicated. All of his words are now validated. You can count on them. You can take it to the bank. It's 100% true. Every single word is raised with Jesus, and it's all you can, you can build your life on it. It's solid as a rock. Same thing's going on here with Abraham and Isaac, right? Um, it's, it's helpful to go through this so that we don't think of the events of the Old Testament as kind of um, peekaboo stories of Jesus, right? The Old Testament is not just peekaboo, here's Jesus, and then a bunch of boring stuff happened, and then, oh, here's another one of those cool Jesus stories. God is always, he's always been giving promises, following through on the promise, giving promises, following through on the promise. And all of it serves to empower, to convince, to give assurance so that the people of God, whether they're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, can be faithful uh, to their calling, all right? Now, peekaboo Jesus is fun, right? It's fun, and, and even the little kids start to figure this out very early on. What's always the answer in Sunday school? Jesus. This is a story about Jesus. And that's great. That's true. That's, that's 100% right. But we want to see that the story of Jesus and these promises that are given, the fulfillment of the promises, always serves for the purpose of the mission, 
that God is at work accomplishing through these, you know, these patriarchs, the prophets, and now through you in the church today. All right. Any other questions on what Abraham gains or this resurrection of Isaac? All right, let's keep reading. And what we're going to find is that very quickly now, once Isaac has died and risen, Abraham has to take a back seat. Now Isaac is 16 and Abraham has to give him the keys and has to sit in the back seat and keep his mouth shut, which is really hard, isn't it, dads? When your kids get old enough and they take over, what do you want to do the whole time? No, don't. Wait, stop, quit, no, don't, not that, no. And Abraham has to diminish so that Isaac can rise. The death and resurrection of Isaac means now he's the guy. All right, so let's see where the story goes from here. Look at verse 20, and we'll see, instead of focusing on what was the conversation like, what is next in the story? The death and resurrection of the son is followed by What does the Bible want us to think? Here we go. Now, after these things, it was told to Abraham, behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Uz and Buzz, (laughs) Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidloth, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother, Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Roima, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Ma'aka. Exciting, right? Just what I would expect after something so impressive as the death and resurrection of Isaac, I would expect a bunch of weird Hebrew names, right? It's a little bit of a letdown, isn't it? You expect, okay, we've got this amazing story. What's God going to do next? And what is the focus here. What is all this business about Nahor? There's a lineage, okay. So why does the Bible put, why does the Holy Spirit want you to have a genealogy here? At the, why not wait until later? Okay, so when the son dies and rises, he's 16, right? Now he can drive, and when you're a 16-year-old boy, what's the number one question in your mind? Where are the girls? Where are the girls, right? Who am I going to take out in this car? So that is the question now. Once the sun dies and rises, he needs a bride. Does that have anything to do with Jesus? Does that fit the, the general plot line of the life of Jesus? Once he dies and rises and ascends into heaven... Now what's the point? He's got to get his girl, right? And the girl has to be the right kind of girl. Not just any girl will do. In that whole list of names, what's the only name that you, that you recognize? Rebecca. Rebecca. And that's the only name you need to recognize, okay? All of it is there just to drive home this point. Once you have the death and the resurrection of the son, figuratively speaking, now he needs the matching girl. He needs the right bride. Kill the dragon. All the great stories go this way. Kill the dragon, get the girl. That's, those are the great stories because that's the story of the Bible. That's Jesus' story. And so if you're going to write a good fictional story like Harry Potter, 
you got to have Harry has to kill the, the dragon, he who shall not be named, and get married, okay? Now, um, <clears throat> do we want to make, make any mention of any of these people? I'm going to confess something to you. I have no idea who these people are. I don't know what happened to Milka. I don't know what happened to Uz and Buzz. I don't know what happened to Kemuel. You could probably, there's probably little footnotes. They probably were the fathers of future nations and Gentiles. But the focus is Rebecca. We get this mention of Rebecca here to get us thinking, all right, he needs the wife. He needs the bride. If I only push away, how do you think Buzz got his name? Buzz, they, they, no, the... His mom, what, they, did, they were one of these parents who they didn't pick out a name beforehand, right? They thought, well, we'll wait until the baby's born. And then he was, like kids do. And they said, that's his name. He's biz. He's biz. Okay. Um, <clears throat> all right, let's keep reading then. So we've got a mention of the wife. There's a seed planted here that the son needs the bride because he's not the final son, right? The only reason that you need the bride is, well, you need someone to spend your life with and be your companion and your helper. All those things are important, but it's the future, the, the seed. The seed has to continue, okay? So Isaac's great, but he's just the first. There is gonna be a future seed, an even greater Isaac. Okay, so let's see what happens next. Chapter 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. So Abraham left Beersheba and went back to Hebron. He was there before, and that's where he's going to end his life. In the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from, being, from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may, may bury my dead out of my sight. Now, what comes into focus here? We're not talking about the sun anymore, but remember, I've been trying to um, teach this to you. When God gives promises to Abraham, there's usually two, two areas of focus. The sun, the seed, and the land. Which one of them is in focus here? The land. Where am I going to bury Sarah? Okay. So it's a bit of a strange request because God had said, it's all going to be yours, Abraham. And yet the whole time he hasn't owned anything, has he? He's been, how does he put it? Sojourner. I'm a sojourner. I'm just a poor wayfar wayfaring stranger, right? Um, that's a great song. I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Verse five, the Hittites answered Abraham, hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God. What does that tell you about these Hittites? They get it. They get it. Yeah, we would call them converts, right? Abraham has not been just sitting around on his hands uh, during this time. He's probably been preaching to them. He's been having tent revivals. <laughs> He's been... <laughs> Okay, maybe not that. But he's been worshiping the Lord and the people have seen God is faithful to Abraham. Hey, Abraham, tell us about your God. We want to worship him. 
So they recognize who Abraham is. Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Pretty good offer, right? Should Abraham take them up on their offer? Sarah can have the best burial spot. Except, who's it going to belong to? The Hittites. And Abraham is thinking, think like Abraham here. What's he thinking? I want, yes. Say it again, Paul. I need to be buried in the Lutheran cemetery. Where I'm buried is important. I don't want to go in the public cemetery. I want to go in the churchyard. And it's got to be mine. Okay? So, we get a little negotiation. Verse 7. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar. So apparently he's had his eye on this piece of property. He knows right where he wants to bury her. Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. How do we know Abraham wasn't an American? Because he doesn't take things for free, right? He doesn't want it for free. I, you, they just offered him whatever you want, Abraham. So now he names the place, but he insists, you don't give it to me. I'm going to pay you for it. Have we seen this with Abraham before? Think back, cast your mind back through the pages of the Bible. Has Abraham ever refused some kind of monetary reward, some kind of gift? The booty of Sodom. The booty of Sodom. That's great, Ben. Abraham would not have the booty of Sodom. (laughs) He refused to be a participant in the booty of Sodom. He didn't want the plunder of Sodom. That's so good. I'm going to remember that. Um, he did not want the plunder of Sodom. Yes. Remember, they, they came to him afterwards. He had gone and redeemed Lot as well as the king of Sodom. And they said, okay, here's your reward. Here's the payment. And Abraham said, no, don't give me anything. I'm not going to take anything from you. I'm going to wait till God gives it to me. Okay. So now, same kind of thing. Same kind of thing. Here comes this offer. Here, you deserve this, Abraham. You're so good. We love you so much. We'll give you the best spot. And Abraham says, I'm not going to get it from you. I'm going to pay the full price. He's, there's a confession of his faith here, right? He doesn't get anything from the Hittites, just like he didn't get anything from the Sodomites. There's nothing wrong with these Hittites. There was a lot of things wrong with the Sodomites. But there's nothing wrong with these Hittites. Abraham just says, I don't get it for free. I get it from the Lord. So he wants to pay full price. All right? Straightforward enough here? See how it's going? Okay, verse 10. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite, he must have been like the chief, um, answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city. Where does this happen? In the gate. The gate is, the pu- that's where you do all your business deals. That's the courthouse of the ancient world. You want something done officially, you don't do it in private, you don't do it in secret, you don't do it in an inner room, you do it at the gate, 
Okay. So he goes to the gate of the city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. So Ephron, he insists. It's going to be my gift to you, Abraham. I want to give it to you. Verse 12, then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will, hear me. I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, my Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? What's that to men like us, Abraham? These are wealthy guys, remember. Abraham's not, he may be a sojourner, but he's rich, okay? So what Ephron is saying to him is, this, all this, you know, haggling for the price, Abraham, we don't need to do this. It's no big deal. Take it, have it for free. And Abraham insists, I'm gonna pay for it. Uh, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the Bible really wants you to get the point. What's the point the Bible really wants you to get here? Abraham bought it. It belonged to him. In public, in the gate, in the hearing of everybody. Okay? And what this establishes is that this land, this land where Sarah is buried, is holy land, right? This is the land of promise. Now, finally, Abraham owns a piece of property. This is the first piece of property that this guy has owned. He's spent his whole life waiting for a promise, and what does he have to show for it? He owns a cemetery. (laughs) He owns a cemetery. Why do churches have churchyards? Why do we do that? Why not just say, oh, just get buried, anywhere is fine. So when the members of the church die, they stay with the church. Okay, that's a, that's a good way to say it. How else might, do we want to put it? Jason? The, that's right. We're all going to be together and we'll say, Ben, remember that time you said that thing about the booty? of That was so good. I'm going to say that to you in the resurrection. That was so funny. That was so good. Um, but... <laughs> Um, churches have burial grounds for the same reason Abraham is so insistent on owning the burial ground. Because we know that the most important stuff is not what I own right now. The most important stuff is where? In the future. The most important stuff is still coming. All right? So even though Abraham, you know, if you ask the Hittites hey, what do you think of this Abraham guy? They probably would say something like this. Well, he's really wealthy. He's really nice. He teaches us the truth, but he's weird. He never, he doesn't want to buy our land. The only thing he owns is a place to bury dead people. And it's only worth 400 shekels of silver. He doesn't seem to care about the things that we really care about. He keeps living in a tent. We tried to give him all the best land. We tried to give him all this stuff, but all he wanted to do was buy a cave where he could bury his wife. That's what, something like that is what the Hittites would say. Now, if you ask Abraham, what would he say? 
This is all mine. Someday, God is going to give it to me. All I need right now is a place to, to fall asleep in. All I need is a bed. And someday I'm going to wake up. Sarah's going to wake up. My beautiful wife is going to wake up. And she was beautiful, remember? Pharaoh wanted her. Abimelech wanted her. Sarah was really pretty, right? Um, she's going to wake up even more beautiful, and we're going to own it all. It's all going to be ours. But we just wait. We're just waiting. That's why churches have burial plots. That's why they have cemeteries. That's why Abraham is so insistent on paying for the cemetery. There's other, there's other examples of this from the Bible. Can you think of other people who are really concerned about where they get buried? Jeff? Jacob and Joseph. Where does Joseph die? And Jacob, too. Down in Egypt, right? And he makes his sons take an oath, right? He puts them on official notice that when you leave Egypt, don't forget me. Bury me up with my fathers. Bury me in the promised land, right? Um, And it's the same kind of thing. It's a confession of the hope of the resurrection. It's a confession of the hope of the resurrection. So sometimes we get this idea that, uh, you know, nobody knew about the resurrection for a long time. They know about the resurrection right now. Um, they, They believe that the Lord could raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham believes that God is going to raise Sarah up from the dead. He believes God's going to raise him up from the dead. They all had this faith, this confidence uh, in the resurrection. All right, let's get back to the text. Unless there's anything else, we've got a couple more minutes here. Roxy. It was... Um, I think he's just saying, if I'm going to bury her um, away from, like, I'm not going to carry her bones with me. Because uh, he could have done that, right? The, uh, the ancient burial practice was you get a cave and you put the body in the cave. And then once the flesh all decays, you collect the bones and you put them in a bone box. Do you know what they called their bone boxes? In, os- in ossuary. That's a place where you put your bones, okay? And they found these things, and you can, but that way, the next person who dies, you just do the same thing with them. You can reuse the burial spot, okay? Um, so I think what he's saying is, if I'm not going to carry her around with me, I need to know where she's going to be. I, so that's what the out of sight, away from me, we got to get the right spot for. I've mentioned before, And whenever uh, things about Jesus come up, it's kind of like, uh, well, uh, you're right. Yeah. Which I really, I really do. Yeah. But at any rate, out in Lono, next to Bank's Grocery, is a Jewish cemetery. And weird as I am, I've gone in there. And one of the graves, at least, doesn't say born whatever A.D., died whatever A.D., it, it has from the beginning of time. Right. They, um, <laughs> no faithful Jew would ever agree to put A.D. on their, they, on their they tombstone. AD, but they'll put 19. Yeah, yeah, true. They, it's inescapable. Jesus is king. Whether you, you believe it or not, it, it's even down to the way we tell time. Anyo 
Domini, the year of our Lord. So yeah, um, that's interesting. They, they like to say from the creation of the world, uh, or sometimes you'll see it abbreviated A-M. Año, that's from the Latin word for year, and mundi, of the world, the year of the world, the uh, beginning of time. Do you know what their, what is this, 2023, uh, what their, their number would be? It's something in the 6,000s. Anybody? 5784. Oh, I thought they were in the 6,000s. I'm pretty sure we're in the 6,000s, but... I guess we can debate that. Um, okay, go, uh, let's finish up chapter 23, and then next week we can do chapter 24. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites. Okay, so not only does he have a cave, what else does he have, Jason? He's got his grove of trees. Isn't, the, isn't it great? All along the way, Abraham has had oak trees and tamarisk trees. And Jason is still writing his dissertation on the meaning of the tamarisk. Um, it's going to be great when you finish it, buddy. Um, but here, at the end, he also has his, he's got multiple trees. He's happy. He's got his little slice of Eden here in the land of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. So he owns it. It's official. He's got it, okay? Um, they repeat, they want you to be sure. This is certified, watermarked, it's official, okay? Um, and what, what I'll just end with you on is think again, kind of the big picture here, right? We want to be able to think through how the Bible helps us to see what is important here. Isaac is sacrificed nearly and rises figuratively. And now we get very quickly the mention of Rebecca. And his mother, Sarah, is going into the background. She's buried. Guess what's going to happen next? He's going to get the girl, and then, here's the spoiler, Abraham's going to go into the background. After the sun rises, after Isaac rises, now he is the guy. And everybody else, Sarah, Abraham, as important as they were, they take the back seat. Now's the time of Isaac. Okay? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you have raised up your son, Jesus Christ, as the assurance of all of his promises and all of his words and teachings for us. We pray now that as the mission of your son goes forward into the world, we would, in our own way, in our own place, uh, be faithful to him. We thank you that you have called us out of darkness into his light, that you have made us members of his body, the church, and that you are bringing the day when uh, not only we will rise, but Sarah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of your saints will rise in glory for everlasting blessing. Keep us firm in this true faith. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.